Join the UBC Film Society for their weekly movie screenings in the Subs Norm Theater every Wednesday to Sunday. This week's screenings are I Am Love playing at 7 p.m. and A Clockwork Orange playing at 9.30 p.m. Wednesday the 9th through Sunday the 13th. Tickets are $2.50 for members and $5 for non-members. For more details and membership information, visit ubcfilmsociety.com. See you at the movies. Wednesday, February 2nd at 5 p.m., drop by the Norm Theater for the UBC Film Society General Meeting. There is free pizza. On today's Arts Report, we'll have writer and mental health expert Dr. Gabor Mate ahead of a special performance of T.J. Dawes' fringe hit Lucky Nine, plus a city known as the Sodom of the North, a city of love and revolution. It's Vancouver in the 60s. And Hannah Georges is on the show, plus lots more, so stay with us. Welcome to the Arts Report for February the 9th, 2011. My name is Adam Janusz, and you're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM or streaming online at citr.ca or perhaps uh, through iTunes as a, as a podcast. Um, on today's show, we have tons of, uh, tons of great events to, to tell you about. Uh, Lucky Nine is, um, was a big fringe hit last uh, summer, and now it's back for a special one-time performance. Uh, the TJ Daw hit um, will also feature a talkback-style uh, conversation with the audience. Uh, including none other than Dr. Gabor Mate, who uh, features prominently in the play. Uh, let's see what else. We'll tell you about Cinema Kabuki. Uh, it's Kabuki Theater uh, brought to you in high definition, uh, right in, in the comfort of a theater, uh, in the comfort of a theater, not in Tokyo, as in you don't have to go to uh, spend thousands of dollars to go to Tokyo to see it, to get the, uh, the full, uh, vibrant uh, action of Kabuki Theater. That's coming to Vancouver. We'll tell you about that. Uh, what else? Let's see. There's a benefit concert uh, for cystic fibrosis featuring Hannah Georges as well as Dan Mangan. 
and that's coming up. We'll speak to to Hannah about uh, about music, and, uh, and that would be great. And uh, we'll also tell you about the World Community Film Festival, and uh, what else? And and City of Love and Revolution. That's uh, that's a new book by uh, Professor Lawrence Aronson, who went to school here. Uh, at UBC in the 1960s and uh, has written a book about uh, about the city in those uh, crazy wild days when Vancouver was known as Sodom of the North so we'll, we'll find out what that is all about so let's get on with the show Gabor Mate's writing can be seen in the Globe and Mail and he's appeared on Democracy Now! He's been a fierce advocate for breaking down the perceived barrier between the mind and the body whether it's addiction or ADHD He's written four books, including In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers, When the Body Says No, The Cost of Hidden Stress, and Scattered Minds, A New Look at the Origins and Healing of Attention Deficit Disorder. His work has inspired many, including Fringe, actor, writer, director, dramaturg, extraordinaire, T.J. Daw. He's been called a fringe god, and his 2010 fringe hit Lucky Nine includes a lot of Mate quotes and ideas. After seeing the show himself, Mate has now teamed up with Daw for a very special performance of Lucky Nine, followed by a one-hour talkback-style discussion with the audience, featuring the two of them. So I wanted to talk to, to uh, Gabor Mate about uh, their collaboration, but... I also wanted to get Dr. Mate's perspective on a clip we aired last week on the Arts Report. If you missed it, it was a lecture um, done by an education expert named Ken Robinson that I found on TED.com. If you don't know what uh, TED is, go look it up right now. Go. Um, Robinson believes that the current education systems in the Western world were designed for a 19th century economy and, and way of life and is completely outdated and, and failing our young people because it fails to recognize their individuality and fails to recognize the, the 21st century that, uh, that kids are growing up in. But he also believes that there is a way, that there is way too much emphasis on ADHD in schools. That's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That uh, he thinks that too many kids are being diagnosed with it and uh, are basically becoming like zombies in the classroom. Furthermore, this kind of tranquilizing of our children is especially damaging to the arts, he says, and to potentially young artists because art is all about being alert, aware, curious, and creative and and alive, not anesthetized. Um, and, and all of these things that, that artists need is things that school and, and medication are inhibiting in, in our classrooms. So I asked him for his two cents on that, but first I wanted to, to talk about Lucky Nine. And I asked uh, Gabor Mate if, uh, if he thinks that, that the show breaks down barriers the same way that he wants to break down barriers between mind and body, if the show uh, does the same between uh, theater, you know, entertainment, and uh, psychology or, or mental health. And here's his answer. Well, you might call it psychotheater, if you like. Right, psychotheater. You know, he, he uh, really brings his own psyche onto the stage. Uh-huh. But that's interesting to people only because it reflects their own experience. Mm. If you were just one guy's freaky, uh, idiosyncratic take on the world, it would not be all that exciting necessarily. Mm -hmm. so, 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 so actually he breaks down the wall between him and the audience mm -hmm. to start with. Yeah. And then taking three such apparently different subjects as the Enneagram and the TV show The Wire and then my books, which are a bunch of different subjects, and he melds them into one show, that itself is breaking down barriers because he's saying that look, reality shows up in all these areas mm. and I'm after finding reality. I mean, his, his whole search, it seems to me, is about locating, identifying reality mm -hmm. and uh, identifying with reality rather than with illusion. So it's also breaking down the wall between people's illusions and, and what's really going on in their lives. Mm -hmm. So the show is all about breaking down barriers, which is about my work as well and I think that's why the two having to find each other right so what do you hope uh what do you think what do you hope will happen um 
in this sort of two-part thing to see the show and then to have this this conversation with you. What are you hoping? I'm hoping that we we'll both get incredibly rich and famous. <laughs> what, are, what are the odds of that? <laughs> I think we high. <laughs> I think the fin- the people that go to the fringe are tend to be very wealthy people. And <laughs> yeah, they want to patronize us handsomely. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to have a good time, and I'm sure we will. That's all it's about, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. truth will get spoken. People will. Uh, participate, uh, they'll have insights, they'll mm-hmm. contribute insights. I just think it'll be a lot of fun. So you're just hoping that it's kind of like a, just a sort of sharing? I'm hoping it'll be a meaningful and uh, fun-filled uh, uh, dialogue, which mm-hmm. I, I believe it will be. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to kind of uh, branch out a little uh, outside the play and... On, on last week's Arts Report, we played uh, a clip from a TED Talk uh, by a guy named uh, Ken Robinson. I don't know if you... I'm not familiar with me. And he had... Um, he's done speeches on the topic of education and how the education system, the public school system, is incredibly outdated. So I just wanted to, to, to see what's, what's your well, take. Look, look, you're touching up an area that I work with quite a lot. I mean, I just yeah. came back from Edmonton and I spoke to teachers exactly on this subject. Um, ADHD was the subject of my first book, um, having been diagnosed with it myself. Um, statistics show that in Canada, the number of stimulants given out for ADHD has gone up 43% in the last five years. So the, the rates of uh, diagnosis and treatment have gone up exponentially. In the, in, in the States, there are 3 million children on, uh, on uh, stimulant medication for ADHD, mm-hmm. and uh, as well as um, half a million kids who are receiving heavy-duty antipsychotics for the same condition. And these kids are not psychotic. Yeah. They're being uh, tranquilized by that. Right. Now, um, having said that, I also think that the diagnosis fits a lot of kids legitimately in the sense that their brains are being adversely affected by the stress that's in the culture. In other words, brain development is not separate from the environment, on the contrary. And so that... There's a lot more troubled kids around, genuinely troubled kids around, because the parents are more troubled, mm-hmm. and there's less cohesion, less community, less of the uh, non-stressed, attuned environment that children need. So kids' brains are being negatively affected. Okay. The solution that our society provides for that is to medicate these kids, rather than to look at what is it that they need developmentally. Mm. Now, when you say that the schools are date, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. The schools are perfectly in date. It depends what you assume the purpose of the schools are. If the purpose of the schools is to bring up uh, people ready to work and meaningless jobs in, uh, in, a, in a road fashion in a post-industrial, post-industrial society, the schools are doing a great job. It's just a lot of kids are being thrown by the wayside. Right. And especially exactly. the ones that are being thrown by the wayside are the most sensitive kids because mm-hmm. it's sensitivity that predisposes people to be affected by the environment mm-hmm. so that the most sensitive kids are also the ones most likely to have ADHD. Right. They also happen to be the most creative ones. Right. And of course, the schools, because of cutbacks and so on, because of the uh, because of the uh, emphasis on standardized tests and all that, mm-hmm. which don't respect artistic endeavor, creativity, individuality, mm-hmm. spontaneity. That's got nothing to do with standardized results. Mm-hmm. Those qualities are not valued, and they're not um, supported. Yeah. And the funding for them is always the first thing to go right. whenever the school system is in economic trouble, which mm-hmm. it is these days. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I agree with the. The speaker, mm-hmm. uh, who, Robinson, is it? Yeah. Who you quoted? Uh, I just think it's a bit more complex than that. Sure. In that, um, there are genuinely more kids who are diagnosable, but the solution shouldn't be drugs. The solution should be to change their environment in such a way that can support their healthy development. Mm. So it's not a disease issue; it's a developmental issue. Right. It's a question of what what are the conditions required for healthy development, and the schools. Not only don't provide that, they often provide the very opposite. And this is despite yeah. the best efforts of teachers. But teachers themselves are sort of products of the uh, system. They're products of the system. They're not educated in this stuff. Right. Nothing about human brain development or personality development is ever taught in educational faculties or in medical schools. Hmm. So most of the people that influence the lives of children know nothing about the science hmm. that has not been uh, clearly elucidated yeah. around brain and child development. So it's a it's certainly out of date in the sense that it's not in any sense correlated with our scientific advances in terms of understanding human beings. Hmm. And do you think the arts, you know, could be a part of that solution? Well, in in, in my book on ADHD, I say that written ten years ago. I mean, necessarily. I mean, if these guys are creative and expressive, that needs to be 
encouraged and valued and celebrated. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at music, for example, human beings anywhere, the basic form of expression universally is music. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you ask people how important is uh, algebra in their lives, most people couldn't even tell you what algebra is. <laughs> yeah. But ask them about music and deprive them of their music and they're bereft. Mm. And we are a society that have become consumers of music mm -hmm. but not creators of it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so that uh, societies where people make music together, uh, not in order to entertain others, but to be with others. Yeah. Uh, th those are the societies which still provide kids with the right conditions of development. Mm. We're past that point. And that was Dr. Gabor Mate talking about Lucky Nine and, uh, and the upcoming uh, two-part show that is uh, one part performance by T.J. Daw and one part uh, conversation featuring uh, T.J. Daw and, and himself, Dr. Gabor Mate. Now, at the end of that interview, I asked him if there was anything else he wanted to mention and he kind of wanted to single out universities um, because, you know, when we were talking about schools... I mean, at least I was focused more on, uh, you know, primary and secondary school education, but he wanted to kind of, um, to, to make sure that we didn't forget that universities can sometimes be part of the problem as well. So here's, uh, here's me asking if the, there's anything else that he wants to add. Well, only that, uh, that the university, uh, which is supposed to mean one world, mm -hmm. that's what university means, is one world. Okay. It's one of the worst, worst culprits in separating things and building up barriers rather than breaking them down. The disciplines are separated. People don't see the connections. People are not taught the connections. Uh, they, they each learn their craft or their intellectual disciplines in mm -hmm. isolation from everything awareness else. from everything else. Uh, research is, uh, is um, minute and... Uh, Concerned with minutia rather right. than, a, Too large, narrow, than larger questions. That's not what a university. That's not what a university is supposed to do. It's right. supposed to reflect the one world. So there you have it. Universities not exempt from from the from the problem, according to um, to Gabor Mate. Okay, well, uh, we have one more interview uh, related to Lucky Nine, and that's with none other, none other than T.J. Daw. And we'll air that interview next uh, week on the uh, February 16th Arts Report, just a, a few days of the performance, which will be on the 19th, February 19th, at Performance Works on Granville Island. Admission will be $15, and tickets can be purchased at the door. And the time of the show is 8 PM. So uh, be sure to tune in uh, next week when we'll, we'll get more in-depth into the actual show and, and the inspiration for it, including uh, how The Wire um, was a big inspiration for, uh, for TJ's work. So uh, there you have it. Okay, stay with us. We have uh, lots more on the show. When we come back, we'll tell you about uh, the CoDev World Community Film Festival. So stick with us. Theatre at UBC presents the world premiere of Double Double Foil and Fumble, a farcical, intelligent, whirlwind play written by MFA candidate Rem Hanman and directed by Hersey Innitt. Double Double Foil and Fumble follows the story of five friends who get together to weave some magic, only none of them know what they're doing, half of them don't believe in magic, and some of them have ulterior motives. Add in some gender-bending reality shifts and you've got yourself a fabulous evening in the theatre. Admission is by donation, with all proceeds going to Positive Space at UBC. Double Double Foil and Fumble plays February 9th to the 12th in the Dorothy Somerset Studio on UBC campus. Showtime is 7.30 p.m., 6.30 on February 11th. And we're back on the Arts Report. Now in its 10th year, CODEV World Community Film Festival is coming to Langara with films that emphasize activism and foster optimism about improving the world. The festival will showcase films from Israel and Palestine, New Zealand, the U.S., Guatemala, and everywhere in between. 
I spoke to Carol Wood, the program director for Co-Development Canada, a group that's successfully operated in Latin America for 25 years, and she fills us in on this unique festival, the individual films, and some non-film events um, available to people uh, during the festival. But first, I asked how Co-Development Canada has been able to exist for so many years. I think it's due to uh, what we we have a very unique partnership model. Um, so we have a way of working that is quite different from other organizations. Um, the idea behind Co-Development Canada is that we here in Canada have things to learn and have uh, links to other places in the world. And um, so our partnership model is based on really helping Canadians understand what's going on in the rest of the world, as well as doing international solidarity projects. So where you might have an organization that's, you know, sort of takes money and sends it down and gets a report and and does projects abroad, we really try to create an understanding um, amongst Canadians, especially here in the Lower Mainland and in B.C., um, of the factors that are influencing Mm -hmm. uh, people in other countries. So... It means that there's more understanding, there's more partnership. Um, our partners here in Canada are, for the most part, trade unions. So mm-hmm. um, QB, the BC Teachers Federation, uh, BC Government Service Employees Union. Um, and the members of those unions just have a, uh, because of our work, have more of an understanding of, of what's going on in the world. So I think it makes for a, a longer-term um, stability and, and, as I say, more of a partnership for mm-hmm. people. And I think uh, I, I would assume that the film festival is sort of an extension of that, um, you know, fostering, you know, partnerships and understanding. Absolutely. Um, a big part of our mandate is is helping people uh, really understand what the issues are, not only in other parts of the world, but how those issues can affect us here and how what we do here affects uh, other countries. So, yeah, the film festival is a great way to do that. So tell me about some of these films and, and how um, how filmmaking and the experience of watching films can achieve this goal. The film festival is curated, actually, out of uh, Courtney. Um, it's a, a mm-hmm. group called the World Community Development Education Society in Courtney, um, and they pick uh, films on different issues really throughout the year. I believe they've been doing it for probably 15 years, uh, 15 or 16 years at this point. Um, so they, they put together a, an amazing package of uh, social justice documentaries. So it can be on, you know, local issues. It can be on environmental stuff. It can be on human rights and labor rights, war, all sorts of stuff. Um, and what we, what the, the formula that they've used and, and what we've uh, taken on here in Vancouver, too, is that by watching a film, and it can be a five-minute film, it can be an hour and a half, people gain an understanding of a certain issue. And then when they come out, what we try to do is have um, possibilities for people to act or to to sort of, you know, take what they've learned and use it um, mm-hmm. and feel like they're doing something. So it's, it's a way of... Um, First, we have something called a bummer quotient where, <laughs> okay. you know, you, you see a film and it, it makes you think, wow, you know, I really want to do something about this issue. And then you come out and there's somebody at a table who says, well, we're working on that issue here. So it allows you to feel right. positive and to, and to actually act on the stuff that you've, that you've seen. So in that way, it's quite unique. Excellent. Now, tell us about the opening film. It's called Boudreaux. Do I have that right? Uh, why, why that film? Um, this is a film uh, about the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, um, and it's, uh, it's again, a, a film that shows that there are alternatives to the traditional way of, of dealing with, uh, with problems. Um, Budris is actually a village, um, and it's about a, a nonviolent resistance of, uh, of people living there, so a man and, and his daughter. Um, we chose it as our opener. Um, because it's such a, a powerful issue, and um, this is such a, a, a great film um, that talks about how to how to deal with the issue, and, and again, um, you know, hope for nonviolent uh, nonviolent resolutions to, to conflict. So, uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, a lot of calls about it. So we're hoping it's going to be a busy night on Friday. Great. Is there anything else you'd like to to mention? 
our Saturday night film, I think, is going to be a really, uh, a really great one. It's about the music of the American Civil Rights Movement. Mm. Um, so I think again, a lot of really heavy issues, a lot of of sadness, but but in the end, um, you know, people people are are joyful and and finding ways out of it. So Saturday night is going to be great. Um, Saturday afternoon, we actually have a, a number of films on sustainable agriculture, and we're mm-hmm. going to have a, a panel where we're going to have people talking about different issues um, around local food, around, we have a film on uh, bees and the situation of bees and agriculture, right. um, another one on sort of setting up a different kind of food system uh, for agriculture. So that, that, I think, is going to be a, it's very topical, lots of people are talking about that. Um, yeah, so there's there's lots of really good stuff. There's different issues. We have a Latin American afternoon also on Saturday and uh, sort of a youth program on Saturday afternoon. Um, Sunday we have a number of uh, of issue of sorry of films on uh, gay pride issues and mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's there's really a lot for whatever you're interested in. Whatever you're interested in, you will find it. Indeed. And that was Carol Wood from Co-Development Canada telling us about the World Community Film Festival coming on Friday, February the 11th until Sunday, February the 13th. And you can get tickets and more information from their website, which is codev.org slash filmfest. Now, tickets, you can get a festival pass for $35. You can get a Saturday and or Sunday day pass for 20 bucks, And to see the, uh, the Friday and or Saturday evening film, it's $15. So uh, check that out. Now, uh, apologies for the, some of the audio in that clip. Uh, I sounded like an angry bee there, which is a thing that happens to to me sometimes. It's uh, I think it must be my my spirit animal, the the angry bee, uh, because every once in a while um, my audio levels sound kind of buzzy and blah, like like you heard in the clip before. Um, who knows? It may it may happen again, but uh, I'm in touch with my spirit animal, and I and I hope you are as well. Okay, uh, <laughs> moving on to. Uh, what? Cinema Kabuki. Kabuki is a highly stylized classical Japanese dance drama with its roots in the 16th century. The best is to be found in Tokyo, but now people in Vancouver can see the finest performances as though they were in the front row. Thanks to Cinema Kabuki, screening tonight. According to Toshi Aoyagi with the Japanese Foundation, it's better than the front row because the camera allows for close-ups and optimum angles, plus the show is in HD, more vivid and vibrant than ever. Uh, we'll talk about some of the kabuki performers who are huge stars in Japan and how uh, to this day only men can perform and thus do all of the female roles. Uh, but first, uh, here is Toshi Awoyagi explaining what kabuki is. First of all, kabuki theater is a Japanese traditional theater which was born in 17th century. Mm-hmm. And still alive, and uh, more than alive, actually, it draws like a tremendous number of people still in Japan, mm-hmm. and very popular, as well as you know, it gets you know respect as the national art form, mm-hmm. and uh, um, they are so much proud of you know this art form, and also they love the, this thing. And it combines now, a lot of different elements, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's actually, you know, almost like, you know, um, many-headed monster. <laughs> <laughs> it has dance and, you know, uh, element and very stylized you know, element and, you know, extremely naturalistic element, mm-hmm. uh, some circus kind of, you know, element. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, you know, it comes in a very, very deep psychology. Okay. And music, that's another thing. Uh, visual things, so it's so rich in detail. Hmm. And well, now yes. this rich in detail—that's one keyword here. Yeah. Um, because of the you know, recent technology of high definition, right? If somebody has rich detail, let's say fine embroidery or something, mm-hmm. this is fabulous, fabulous target. Right. You know, because I was going to ask as. It's transferred, you know, from live theater to to film. You know, you might wonder, ooh, you know, is is some magic, you know, lost in the process? But so, would you think that it, it now with HD technology, it actually transfers quite well onto the screen? Actually, it opens up different, t- 
totally different dimension. A lot of people say, you know, you know see, this is Kabuki, here's Kabuki Theater and performed in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And then these, you know, uh, digital um, cameras are then taking them, their images. Mm-hmm. It takes the look of, you know, the best seat of the theater, they say. Right. But in fact, it's more than that. There are a lot of things that you can even see, really, in the live theater. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can you know, really capture, you know, completely different dimension there. Hmm. And uh, that's the beauty of the cinema kabuki. And uh, tell us about some of the specific shows that will be featured. Mm-hmm. Um, the, first of all, you know, we are having this Heron Maiden mm-hmm. by Tama Saburo. He is a superstar of superstars. <laughs> he specializes female roles. Right. And uh, appearing on stage and in the snow, he actually changes he actually wears six different costumes right and just 32 minutes piece right and and it's very interesting because in western theater at one point in the you know 17th century women also were not allowed just like in kabuki but what's mm-hmm. interesting is that uh in the japanese tradition it still goes on today that men play female roles mm-hmm. and they're actually big stars as you say oh yes <laughs> that's really oh, interesting yes. That's really interesting. Anyway, you were saying about the different shows? Yep. And uh, the other big star is Kanzaburo, and you know, he is uh, dancing this piece of uh, triple lion dance. Mm. And you know, uh, it's about you know, father and son, uh, king of the animals, uh, trying to tr- train his own two cubs. Mm-hmm. So... Um, some kind of sadness in there, some kind of you know, encouragement there, and you know, purposely, you know, you know, he beats them and all those things are not happening. But it's a beautiful, actually, family relationship story there. Mm. Being performed by real father and son. Really? Actors, then that makes another power. Yeah, it's another piece, element. Different mm. kinds of chemistry there. Exactly. Wow. And, you know, they have this, you know, um, head to floor long, big hair in the, in, in the end. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, you know, uh, most magnificent creature in the, any kind of theater. Wow. And uh, they swing their mane, yeah. three of them. And, you know, they sink, synchronized. They can be synchronized. Oh. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. Now, one more piece is a black comedy. Mm-hmm party with a dead man okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, a, a ordinary people it's probably most realistic piece in the world mm. poor people in a, in the lowest bottom tenement are having fun actually yeah, yeah. in the poverty but you know you, you will see how dead man will dance right. in the end And that was Toshi Ayowagi telling us about uh, Cinema Kabuki, which will feature Triple Lion Dance and Heron Maiden at uh, Cineplex Odeon International Village, which is uh, another name for Tinseltown. I don't know why they're called that, Cineplex Odeon International Village Cinemas now. But anyway, they are. Uh, And that will be on February 9th, uh, tonight. And it starts at 6 p.m. And uh, the other showing is at 7.30. So... If you're listening, you can catch the 7.30 show, uh, probably, and just head there for tickets. All right, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll tell you about uh, City of Love and Revolution, a book about Vancouver in the 1960s, and uh, we'll also speak to Hannah Georges, which is play- who is playing a benefit concert for cystic fibrosis, and uh, still a bunch more, so stay with us. Sunversion, the act of subverting or overthrowing the corporate sun run. On April 17th, the Organizing Center for Social and Economic Justice will form a sunversive brigade within the corporate sun run and pound the pavement to raise funds for its ongoing work in the community. Register and collect pledges with the Organizing Center to receive a Sunversion Run t-shirt, weekly training sessions, and a place in the run. Sunversive runners will meet at an alternate starting point and finish at Science World where they will receive their time for exactly 10 kilometers. 
For more information, to register, and to receive a pledge form, email your name, phone number, and address to organizingcenter at gmail.com or phone 604-215-2775. Weekly training sessions begin on January 30th. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR, 101.9 FM, and online streaming at citr.ca. And, of course, our podcast is available to be listened to. Uh, That's available from our website as well, citr.ca. If you missed any of the features we've had in the show, you can check that out on the website. And uh, and all the appropriate links uh, if you want to get tickets or at least uh, more information on any of uh, the wonderful events and uh, features that uh, we have on the show. Now, I want to tell you very quickly uh, about some of the stuff we're going to have next week, including uh, a a part two of our feature on Lucky Nine, uh, which is a special showing of last year's Fringe show that was a a huge hit and is now coming back with a special talkback session. And uh, that's going to be on the 19th. Uh, The show is on the 19th, but we'll have an interview with TJ Daw, who's been called a Fringe God. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, we'll ask we'll ask him how uh, how he feels about that on next week's uh, show. What else can I tell you about? Uh, there's a special screening at Pacific Cinema Tech on uh, on a film called The Game of Death, and that's part of uh, a special series on mental health, where you watch a film and then um, psychology experts uh, debate some of the issues brought up in the film and this is based on a very famous uh, experiment done in the 1960s where volunteers zapped uh, were zapping other volunteers or who they thought they were other volunteers it turns out they were actors but um, the test was to see how far people would keep zapping as a form of punishment when they were told by an authority figure to to keep zapping and uh, surprisingly people went really far people went a lot uh, farther than uh, than it was expected by by experts of the time and this was recreated in, in France in a form of a game show uh, only a few years ago and this was all uh, sort of debated and discussed in a documentary film so so yeah that'll be very interesting we'll have a, an interview with Dr. Peter uh, Sudfeld uh, from UBC, and uh, and he'll tell us about this famous experiment, and and he'll tell us how he feels about uh, the game show that sort of uh, kind of tricked people into thinking that uh, that they were inflicting pain on others. So, yeah, stay tuned uh, for that. But in the meantime, we want to tell you about Marion Bridge. Daniel McIver is one of Canada's most produced playwrights, thanks to his skillful blend of drama and offbeat comedy, often set in his native Cape Breton. Now on at the Havana is Marion Bridge, a play about three sisters returning to Cape Breton for a family reunion. Producer and one of the sisters, Terry Taylor, tells us about the show and about the importance of strong female roles. But first, here she is explaining what Marion Bridge is about. Marion Bridge, it's written by a, um, a wonderful Canadian writer called Daniel McIver and is set in um, his home area of Canada, which is the Maritimes in Cape Breton. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's a, a family drama, actually, about an enforced family reunion between three sisters who come back home as their mother is dying. You never see the mother mm-hmm. as their mother is dying, and the, the three sisters are, are forced to confront their painful past and it sounds really like a heavy a heavy dark <laughs> drama but it's actually the way it's written yeah. and and the way we perform it it's actually quite funny now that makes sense because uh, Cape Breton it strikes me as a place where they have a, a kind of a whimsical sense of humor exactly where they mix sort of uh, tragedy and comedy is that that's exactly yeah mm-hmm. the tragedy is evoked through the comedy so you don't sit there and go oh this is such a heavy place <laughs> there's actually a lot of laughing throughout the throughout sure. the play and a uh, family reunion that that seems uh, that always seems like a good recipe for uh, for a play, isn't it? Like a dysfunctional family comes together. Exactly. <laughs> Film anything, right? And 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 everyone can relate to that when you move away from home and come back, and all of a sudden you're you're thrust back into those old roles mm-hmm. of of uh, of who you were back then, and the, the same kind of hierarchy and 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 that kind of thing. So. Do you, I understand you, you're in the show. Do you play one of the, the three sisters? I do. I play the eldest sister, Agnes. 
which okay. is which is fun for me because I'm actually a middle sister. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you have to transition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. I get to be the older sister. And what's what, tell us about that character? What's sort of the the heart of her? The heart of her is um, just like in real life, everyone has a you know a role they play uh, mm-hmm. and thing. But if you scratch that surface, just beneath them is something really much more complex. So Agnes plays the older sister, who um, is really the black sheep, the rebel of the family, and she's almost an alcoholic, you know, kind of alcoholic. She self-medicates with whiskey and and cigarettes and that sort of thing. Um, but underneath, she's she's actually a very wounded, um, you know, wounded animal, like like mm-hmm. many of us are. And throughout the play, you you get to see why she's wounded and and why she became the person that she she is and her transition out of that you know self medication kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now now you touched on how being a, a family reunion it's it, everybody can sort of relate on, on on some level but I'm curious why you know you're also a producer of the show so I wonder why bring this show um, to life what's what's you know what's relevant for audiences today in seeing it? Theater, it, well, if it, good theater, mm-hmm. I should temper that. Good writing, because <laughs> there, there is a lot of bad theater out there. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but we should all give, it, give, give everyone a chance, because you don't know until you go see it. And um, Vancouver is so full of these amazing, great, small, independent mm-hmm. theater productions that um, the general population of Vancouver don't even know exist. Right. They, they, you know, they know the Arts Club and the Playhouse and, and you know, the, the Granville Island main stage, that, those type of things. They don't yeah. really even know about the smaller theater companies. Um, and especially for women, just like in film and TV, it's really difficult to find strong female character roles um, to play. Yeah. And when I discovered this one, which, which has three very strong female characters, and the writing is so exquisite... It's just you just need to honor the the story and honor the writing, and you you know kind of get out of the way of yourself and bring mm. the story to life. Mm-hmm. It's it's so fantastic, and um, my whole passion and and dream with with theater and with acting is to help. You know, is, is it was born of the passion and the need to express and honor the truth in all the different stories and to offer um, a space where others can create and get together and challenge and push and learn and grow. And that includes the audience, not just the, the, the um, you know, the, the producers and the cast members yeah. and, and whatnot. Because the theater, um, which is different than film and TV, film and TV is more of a passive watching mm-hmm. that one does, but theater is very much active watching. It, it demands audience participation like the audience is actually a, a member of the cast they just exactly. don't they don't have uh written words but they're they're a member of the cast so each performance is inherently different with each different audience because of the different mix of energies that come into the room and 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 that sort of thing so um to tell this particular story which is a story of of the disparate group the disparate sisters who who really didn't have much contact after two of them left home and one of them stays, and to bring them back together and to show the coming together and the resolution and the change and transition that they go through mm-hmm. by working through and going into their pain and their problems and coming out the other end. It's really a, a play of, of hope and of um, what can happen if you, if you don't turn away from that which pains you. If, mm. if if you instead if you examine it, and and are open to feeling the pain, and then they're coming out the other end, mm. what can happen? So, um, it it just offers a, a glimpse into what can be if you choose to. Mm-hmm. Terry Taylor.
the producer and uh, co-star of Marion Bridge, which is now playing at the Havana Theatre on Commercial Drive. That's 1212 Commercial Drive. And the show is running until February the 19th. Uh, Sundays uh, through Tuesdays are dark. So uh, what does that mean? Wednesday through Saturday. And tickets are $20 for one, uh, $35 for two tickets. And students can get in for $15 with valid student ID, which is a good deal for students to check out uh, good theater. So uh, check out that out. You can get tickets at the door or from Biz Books. Okay, we're going to take one little short break, and then we'll talk to Hannah Georges. So stay with us. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead. Let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. Dunkin's Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. You've heard Hannah Georges. Maybe you've heard her on the radio. Maybe on YouTube. Maybe on your computer through iTunes. Or maybe you didn't do any of those things. Maybe you just watched TV. Her songs have been featured in commercials for Walmart and Starbucks across North America and and has helped to vault her into music stardom. She's playing a benefit concert for cystic fibrosis, more on that later, with Dan Mangan, The Zolas, and Karina Karina. We chatted over the phone about playing with such a, a company of friends, and we talked about how music charts have become a little bit outdated. But first, I asked her about the bike tour she did with Said the Whale and Jeremy Fisher last summer. They biked from show to show, venue to venue across Vancouver Island, calling their cycling music posse the Malahat Review. So uh, I asked her, how was it? It was a lot of fun. It was, uh, you know, I've never done anything like that in my life. No, and you're not a you're not a big cyclist. Actually, I am. Uh-huh. I am. I like. I love biking. I was out on a, a really long bike ride this morning. I do bike, but I've never uh-huh. like biked from show to show, and and that's a kind of a whole different story. And um, I found that I had so much energy um, <laughs> while biking, and then you kind of like you get to sound check, and you're like, whoa, big wave. of that's what i wanted to ask about because it seems i have this sort of uh, image in my head that you're you know on the highway all of you with all your equipment like tied to the to sort of the the back wheel and then you know they open the gates for you at the show and the crowds are you know they've just introduced (laughs) you and you sort of pull into the back and have to like climb up onto the stage right right no it wasn't exactly like that but we we had we were lucky that we had um we had a, a driver that uh, carried gear because mm-hmm. we did have um, full band and we had <laughs> drums and all that jazz. So it would have been next to impossible to try to carry our, all of our backline with what us you on mean? the bike. You didn't have it all on your backs? Oh. No, man, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then, you know, the show showtime rolls around and you, uh, whenever I play a show, there's I'm, you know, running on adrenaline and get energized i feel energized again but yeah it it was it was very interesting and it was a lot of fun and it was a very cool i thought it was a really neat idea to 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 play you know a bunch of artists coming together and playing each other's uh, music and and performing it all together it was really really cool and Mm -hmm. i had a lot of fun doing it now, uh, the show coming up with, with Dan Mangan and uh, the Zolas and, and others, uh, this benefit for cystic fibrosis, 65 Red Roses, um, I know, you know Dan Mangan is, is, is a friend, and uh, so I wonder if it's, it's going to be similar at all to the, the Malahat Review in, in the sense, you know, will, will you guys sort of share? Um, not, that I, um, not that I know of. I know, actually, Dave Vertesi mm-hmm. is a really good friend of mine, and he's opening, he's the first opener, and... He's asked me to come up and sing a song with him, so I'm I'm going to do that. And yeah, the Zolas are really close friends of mine. And Dan and I actually were out for coffee this morning. There you go. Catching <laughs> up, and yeah, and I I'm just excited to kind of all be re- reunited because everybody's been so busy, and um, I think it's going to be a, a really great night. Yeah, it seems like a like a tight knit community out here. For sure. Everybody yeah. knows everybody. <laughs> I feel I feel pretty lucky that I've got you know 
some really close friends that are all there you know we're all doing the same thing and that we're all you know having I feel like we're all doing pretty well and that's mm -hmm. that's really exciting and and I'm just like I'm a huge supporter of every of all my of all my good friends and yeah. really enjoy their art so now let me ask you about uh, on the topic of success um, you were in the National Post uh, just the other day talking about uh, the sort of relevance of, uh, of charts right and and I wonder what's uh, give us a, a, a bit of your perspective on this because you know some of what uh, of your success has come from not traditional uh, you know just straight up album sales but a lot of people first heard your music on TV in, in right. commercials and then of course you have you know the, the internet and and uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, so you know what's the difference where are we at in 2011 well it's just it's that's so hard to say like there's just so many <laughs> other different outlets for artists to to um, expose their music and like you just said I feel like that has been a way to expose my music to a wider a wider audience what is through licensing deals and and um getting my music placed on television and and yeah and charts i think are significant for um you know people to to find you and they are significant uh means but i also think they're not completely they're not the just the one source and i think there's so many other ways i think like youtube is such a huge thing you look on youtube and you always are like well how many views has this person had and that's kind of how you judge mm -hmm. you know how popular things are and and uh as well as like twitter and and uh there's just so many so many different outlets for artists to to kind of get themselves out there now are you conscious of that kind of stuff when, when you're making music or do you just kind of you know lock yourself in a room do the music you want to do and leave all the other stuff to to the you know record company people right i i don't want to get i i want to have my art be my art and, yeah. and be you know uh i'd like to walk yeah I, I don't it's hard to not get kind of influenced by what just because it is my career it's my life and it is a business too, but I really try hard to just write music that's very that I'm in, that in, that I'm inspired and and uh, feel like it's completely me and from the heart and and that's the way I go about writing music. So um, I try not to get those things to to get too influenced by that that stuff. Yeah. Now speaking, but of, be aware of it. Speaking of music that inspires you, I understand you're a hip hop fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> what are what are some of your favorite uh, artists or tracks? Um, I really like uh, the Doggy Style record by Snoop Dogg. Oh my God, that's a classic. <laughs> no, really, that is a classic. Yeah, I love Tribe Called Quest. Um, I love I like old like Method Man. Yeah, uh -huh. I don't know, and I think today I think Shad is amazing. Like just a, a new artist and a hip-hop artist in Canada. Right on. Hannah Georges there telling us about uh, the show she'll be doing with Dan Mangan, the Zolas, and Karina. Karina. And I want to tell you about this, this fundraiser because it's called 65 Red Roses, and it's coming to the, the Massey Theatre in New West, and it's celebrating the life of an incredible young woman named Ava Markvoort who documented her struggle with cystic fibrosis through film and the internet until dying at the age of only 25, just days after receiving her theater degree from the University of Victoria. Cystic fibrosis is a genetic disorder where your body slowly breaks down due to a certain broken protein. Ava received a double lung transplant and seemed to be doing well until things took a turn for the worst. She documented the whole process on her blog, 65 Red Roses, which had hundreds of thousands of followers. A documentary was also made, co-directed by a UBC film student, Nimisha Mukherjee, and has been shown on the CBC. It's been recently announced that Oprah Winfrey has brought the rights to the film and will show it on her new TV network. The benefit is called 65 Red Roses, just like her blog, and proceeds will support the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And as I said, it will feature Dan Mangan, 
uh, Hannah Georges, the Zolas, and Karina Karina. And this will be on Friday, February the 11th. It's at 8 p.m. at Massey Theatre, and you can get tickets uh, at Massey, sorry, uh, www.masseytheatre.com. Okay, we have one more uh, feature, and that uh, has all to do with uh, Vancouver, fittingly for the city's 125th anniversary. A new book explores the vibrant and changing city that was Vancouver in the 60s. It's called City of Love and Revolution. I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, author and professor of history at the University of Alberta, Lawrence Aronson, explores some of the controversies like the Gastown riots, some of the emerging institutions like the Georgia Strait and the Kulch, and some key differences in the hippie movement between Canada and the U.S. We talked about all this, and I asked the professor about uh, what our city's become since those exciting days. Uh, basically, you know, what happened to all those, those hippies uh, now. Uh, but first, um, ask them about, uh, or ask them to tell us about some of the hotbeds of of hippie '60s culture in in um, in Lower Mainland. Well, in addition to the universities, Simon Fraser included, there was the Fourth Avenue area where basically where the hippies were concentrated there, and that's where the drugs and sex and rock and roll experiments took place. The uh, well, speaking of that, Vancouver was known as the Sodom of the North. Yes, yes, it did have a reputation of sort. But alas, I wish there was more. My memory of it is it was pretty normal in terms of day-to-day sexual activities. Right. You didn't just simply pick up a hippie girl and live happily ever yeah. after. That. It, was, it was normal. It wasn't mm. as, as radical as perhaps our memories would like to think. Yeah, was it maybe more in the context of, of the early 60s and, and the 50s? Was, was that... It was different from that in the sense that we would certainly talk about sex in public. For right, the first and that time. alone was kind of scandalous and that, yes. for the time. And at UBC here, my most vivid memory was here in Sub, is I can remember in the fall of 1969, the first condom machine went in mm. to the men's washroom in the far west entrance uh, to yeah, sub. Of the sub. And that was a huge revolution. <laughs> right, whereas today that would just not uh, make anyone notice. Really. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, up, but up until then, you actually had to go to the back of a drugstore and buy condoms wow. secretly. Yeah. Wow, as if it was some yes, clandestine yeah, some activity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but we were talking about sort of uh, hotbed areas. And so there was 4th Avenue, there was SFU. And then there was, of course, the, um, the area around Commercial Drive, which was uh, somewhat active, uh, the Vancouver's Cultural Center, the Kulch as it's known today, and then, of course, downtown. Right. And what are some things that people today might not know uh, had its origins then, like uh, Greenpeace comes to mind? I mean, not everybody knows that that was born in Vancouver. Yes, that's a curious story. It comes at the end of the period that I'm writing about in the early 1970s. I look at more at the 60s. But mm-hmm. uh, yes, it is uh, in some ways an outgrowth of that. But it's also an outgrowth of the Americans, basically. We got involved with the American environmental movement first, the Sierra Club in California. Mm-hmm. But they didn't pay much attention to us, especially mm-hmm. during the uh, Amchik uh, problems with the nuclear weapons testing there. Mm-hmm. And consequently, we broke off and became a separate entity, which... okay. Up to be Greenpeace. Which brings up a, a theme of your book that there was a, a, a distinct difference between the U.S. movement and the Canadian side. Well, the hippie culture generally in Canada in some ways is a mere image of the United States, except that we don't go to the extremes as, let's right. say, the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tensions of Haight-Ashbury are not quite present. So that's how it was different. It was sort of the yeah. response to it. It, it was... Both the behavior of the counterculture was different and the response of local government officials was different. For example, mm-hmm. uh, although the mayor at the time, Tom Campbell, was rather conservative in his political behavior, uh, there were people on city council, CCF types or NDP types, and even some communist sympathizers who tended to moderate the response. And so there was actually a hippie committee that was struck to deal with mm-hmm. the issues involving that rise of the counterculture and it was a very civilized mm-hmm. there was a there was government funding for various activities including the, the uh, Vancouver's cultural center there was even some money available for mm. that and uh, people didn't automatically reject you if you had long hair or talked about 
drug, sex, and rock and roll. It mm-hmm. was basically, if, you, if there was any evidence of, of sort of violent behavior, then there would be a response. But on the whole, it was rather civilized. And the only, of course, blight on all that is the Gastown Riot of, right. of 1971. Yeah, which has now sort of been immortalized at uh, Woodward's. Yes, and we could see the mural there at the uh, at the new uh, Woodward Center. Right, that, but that was sort of more the exception than the rule. That certainly was the <clears throat> exception. And then people tend to forget that one week after that uprising, the community mobilized to have a peaceful countercultural event, and people were actually smoking <laughs> up in front of the police, and there was very little violence or police um, activity. Interesting. Now... Uh, I want to ask you about today and and how you see the changes, uh, the counterculture of the 60s. How do you see that in the context of now and sort of the decades that have come after it? Where are we now? Are we we better off? Are we worse off? Where are we today? Well, as a historian, I see the counterculture experiment of the 60s as the last gasp, the last effort to reject mass consumer capitalist society. Mm -hmm. And... Today, there is some evidence of a rejection of a consumer society, but it's related to the environmental movement, designed to save the world, if you want, from pollution. But at the time, the rejection of mass consumer society was basically an aesthetic and philosophical one, Mm -hmm. that happiness is Mm -hmm. found through drugs, sex, and rock and roll, not Mm -hmm. the acquisition of material Mm -hmm. possessions. So there was kind of an aesthetic dimension in terms of the rejection. That has not reappear. That'll be the last time I think mass consumer capitalism will be rejected on the aesthetic level. And are hippies uh, are hippies dead? Like uh, how have have they have they just changed into a different form in 2011? Do do you still see some sort of influence in in today's Vancouver society? I don't think young people have the luxury and time to become hippies. We really? can drop out for two or three or four years and just live happily ever after. Today, there's enormous pressure to get your university training, to get your technical skills, and then get a job. In your case, you're in the media. You don't have time to waste two or three years. You've got to get on with it and and get your training and um, you know be disciplined for your career. Mm. But we didn't have that sense of career. Sort of 